You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the darknet, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cyberwire's Research Saturday. I'm Dave Bittner, and this is our weekly conversation with researchers and analysts tracking down threats and vulnerabilities, solving some of the hard problems of protecting ourselves in a rapidly evolving cyberspace. Thanks for joining us. And the question was, well, how many of these outdated dependencies, which might be vulnerable uh, to some serious CVs, are out there? That's Tomislav Parachin from Reversing Labs, where he's chief software architect and co-founder. The research we're discussing today is titled Third-Party Code Comes with Some Baggage. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Well, so walk us through how you approach this. How did you all get started on on this this research journey? Yeah, so we actually scan all these package repositories continuously. Uh, One of our core missions is to be able to find any malicious packages which might reside in them. So what we do is we scan things like NuGet and NPM and, you know, uh, PyPy and all the other open source repositories. So that drew us to the conclusion of, well, we're checking for malware. What would happen if we start looking for vulnerabilities as well? And how did you go about doing that? I mean, what, how, how do you, what's the process for digging in here and finding what's, uh, you know, buried in these packages? So the package managers themselves host all of the versions of the packages themselves. You can ra- relatively easily go and crawl uh, all of the packages themselves. Uh, you end up 
collecting a vast amount of data. So NPM, I think, is about 9 million different package versions that you kind of crawl and maintain over time. And then, obviously, after you have all these packages, you start doing static analysis. So unpacking them, analyzing the contents, looking at, you know, are they only using script languages intended by the package manager, or are they also including, like, native binaries as well? And what did, what did you find here? Take us through some of the results. Well, the interesting bit is that uh, you kind of expect that the package managers kind of serve the programmers for that platform, and uh, you kind of expect them to have only the like kind of like JavaScript in NPM world. What we an- actually uh, uncovered during our research is that all of these package managers, alongside their core missions, have additional. Uh, libraries and executables for all sorts of platforms. So we found Windows executables, executables for even mobile applications and all these packages. So with that idea, then we said, okay, so we know a lot about analyzing, for example, Windows binaries, and we know you know we can have static linked uh, libraries uh, in those applications. Is this something the developers are actually actively updating as well? So that led us through this path of you know making some signatures to uh, identify commonly used uh, compression, encryption, and networking libraries that we know uh, for a fact are you know updated all all the time, and they are updated all the time because uh, you know frequently uh, vulnerabilities get dis- discovered in them. So uh, with those sets of signatures and doing this large data analysis, we were able to uncover, you know, uh, hundreds of thousands of different uh, packages uh, across many different versions they have that actually do still have uh, vulnerabilities which might get uh, exploited. So help me understand here. I mean, is, th- is this a matter of um, of people using, you know, other snippets of code, you know, open source things, whatever, as you said, you know, popular libraries and so on, is it a matter of them using ones that are out of date that, and and not going through the process of updating them? Is it is it neglect or what what exactly leads to these being consistently within the things that you're looking at here? Yeah, so uh, it's not on the end user. So the end user uses the package manager correctly. So they say, okay, update all the, the packages, bring down the latest versions. And the developers of those packages tend to update that code frequently. Uh, however, uh, the statically linked libraries do not appear in the list of dependencies. And you have no idea if the original developer has actually updated the statically linked libraries or not. And as our research shows, there's quite a few developers out there who kind of include a third-party project and forget, and then just ends up accumulating this large number of vulnerabilities in open source repositories. Can you give us an example of, of some of the things that you found here? Yeah. So, so we've uh, looked for, as I said, common uh, compression encryption libraries. Uh, and for example, uh, Zlib uh, is the most common compression library out there. There's only like two dozen or so versions uh, that it has, but uh, almost every single version has a vulnerability or, or two. And uh, it's relatively easy to identify if you create a signature which just includes the banner which says I am Zlib and specific version, uh, you'd be able to identify if the library is actually statically linking uh, an outdated uh, Zlib version. So we did that, and through the scan we found uh, quite a few popularly used packages which statically link these things. I think one of the most... uh, 
interesting one was uh, the application which is used to kind of edit and, and create new uh, DICOM images. And DICOM uh, are images are used in medical devices, right? So hmm. this is very interesting because they're using an outdated version. And then if you're parsing an image which has a vulnerability within the parsing itself could trigger uh, code execution. So that's why, you know, uh, having these libraries continuously updated is important, even though they might not be declared by people creating the packages. So how would someone go about doing what you've done here? I mean, in, in order to, I, I guess it's, a, is it a matter of how deep do you dig? I mean, if I'm developing something here and, and I've got these dependencies, um, what's the best way for me to go about making sure that th there aren't these sorts of things lurking within? So for developers, it is relatively hard because the tools they have at their disposal coming from the package managers themselves, they only show the declared dependencies. To be able to find the ones which are not, you need to use additional tools. Uh, and there are commercially available tools today called you know, SCA tools or software composition analysis tools. A lot of them will uh, just you know, look at the package manifest as well and, and stop there. Uh, the ones which are really good will try to do static analysis and figure out, is there any static link code? Those uh, are, are limited, and they tend to use a pretty fine set of signatures to find common vulnerabilities. So uh, we would recommend using those in addition to open source tools. Hmm. In terms of the, the, the bad guys being able to exploit this, I mean, if, if it's not obvious to the developers, is it also not obvious to the bad guys that these vulnerabilities would be here? Or is there, is there, a, is there a disproportionality here where the, the, the bad guys have the advantage? It is relatively simple to create these signatures. So let's say uh, you're a bad guy and you're trying to do kind of mass exploitation of these vulnerabilities. Uh, for the static link libraries, which are easy to identify, like we did, writing a simple signature will do, you can easily find uh, the vulnerable packages and you can find them uh, way before the actual developers do. Uh, we haven't yet really seen large-scale exploitation like that, uh, but given uh, what's happening with software supply chain and, and attackers finding new and novel ways uh, to exploit the developers, uh, this might be just a matter of time. And what about the, the notion of, of a software bill of materials? I mean, would that... Is that the sort of thing that would help out here, where if you had a, a manifest of everything included, is that, would that help us get where we want to be? Absolutely. That, that is the way forward. However, uh, most software bill of materials for open source packages are being created based on the self-declared list of dependencies. Uh, mm. Additional tooling is actually required to be able to detect static link code and add that to the software bill of materials. Uh, typically, software bill of materials is created uh, manually by the developers, and it suffers the same drawbacks as, as anything else you know, maintained by humans. It can be outdated, it can, might not even be accurate, it can change over time, dependencies could be forgotten or added. So it, it really is uh, up to security uh, providers to actually develop tooling that can accurately define the software bill of materials. 
And, and how do you rate the seriousness of this? I mean, to what to what degree should should this be on people's radar? How how seriously should they take the possibility of a vulnerability here? Well, we'll start with the basic one, which is, you know, uh, do I understand the software bill of materials for the packages I'm actually using? And if the answer is no, and in most cases it, it is going to be no, uh, what can be done about it? Because we already are looking for, uh, you know, uh, software bill of materials to detect certain issues, right? We're trying to find license violations. We're trying to find vulnerabilities in commonly used components. Extending that process to make us a little bit more secure is actually required. So what are your recommendations then for folks who want to do a better job here? How, how do they get started? What's the best way to approach this? Well, I would uh, look at each uh, additional security tools. Uh, if you are not using any software composition analysis tools today, this would be a good time to start because we've seen that uh, gaps in, in protection are actually being exploited by the attackers. So we've seen people uh, misusing the uh, known vulnerabilities. Uh, we've seen people misusing the lack of vulnerability mitigation protections enabled. And adding additional tooling, both commercial and open source, is required to uh, start bridging that gap and reducing uh, the uh, actual attack surface. Uh, so the packages uh, that we provide to other people and, and other developers are depending on are a little bit more secure. Our thanks to Tomislav Perichin from Reversing Labs for joining us. The research is titled Third-Party Code Comes with Some Baggage. We'll have a link in the show notes. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and Zero Trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their SASE journey, visit netskope.com. The CyberWire Research Saturday is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Trey Hester, Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Justin Sabi, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next week. Hey all, Rick here. At N2K CyberWire, we're dedicated to continuously improving the quality of the news and commentary on our network. That's why we're inviting you to participate in our 2024 audience survey. It only takes a few minutes and your feedback is invaluable. Plus, you'll have the chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card as a thank you for your time. Head on over to cyberwire.com survey. That's cyberwire.com survey to share your feedback now.